0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Hanukkah podcast presented by me, Del Foxburner, and by my wife, Rivka Foxburner. And the uh, the title of this class is called Navigating the Halakhas and Practicalities of Hanukkah. And in this recording, our goal is to present some guidance and some perspective on some of the most commonly asked questions. Uh, with regards to um, Hanukkah, candle lighting and other, other issues. So we'll jump right in, and let me just first start by uh, giving the outline and what, what we're going to try to talk about. Um, so the four basic topics or three basic, basic topics that we're going to discuss are, number one, um, candle lighting times, the best time to light, the ideal times, and what to do when a situation is less than ideal, as it often is. Um, number, topic number two is going to be the concept of uh, giving presence over the course of Hanukkah um, and what the perspective the um, traditional and Jewish and source perspective is on that and the third topic which will include several subtopics is the idea uh, the questions regarding traveling on Hanukkah when you're going to be away from home or perhaps traveling throughout the night uh, and situations like that so those are the three basic topics and let's jump right in any comments, Mrs. Foxbrenner? No, thanks. <laughs> OK, so do you have, um, so we've, we fielded a bunch of questions. We sent out an, an email yesterday. And in addition, just um, privately, aside from the email, we've uh, received quite a few questions about uh, Hanukkah And we're going to start by reading a couple of them. Do you, you have them?
1: Yes. Okay. Uh, number one, if my husband doesn't come home from work until 730 or later, what is the correct time for us to light? What if not talking l- about me, by the way. <laughs> what if my little kids... If my husband comes home, never. Just kidding. <laughs> but What if my little kids go to sleep before he gets home? That's question number one. Should I read question number two and you'll answer them together, or should I keep going? Yeah, let's do them all at once. Okay. Uh, these are all questions that have to do with appropriate times for candlelighting. Number two. I know that women are not supposed to do work for half an hour after candlelighting. this is supposed to help me connect to and enjoy the mitzvah, it actually does the exact opposite i am stressed while sitting there unable to make dinner and move homework and bedtime along that's question number two question number three should i insist that all my children come home to light with us as soon as my husband gets home
0: okay so these are three questions within the realm of when it is best to light hanukkah candles so what i want to do is present the general halakhic background um and, um, and then we'll get to the specifics. And uh, if you have anything to add, I'm sure you will. Um, so here we go. Uh, when it comes to candle lighting, there is uh, a lot of confusion. And it's actually a very interesting sugi when you get into the original sources. But we won't do that too extensively. Um, let's talk about the ideal time to begin lighting Hanukkah candles and how far that extends. Right now, in other words, I'm just talking about the ideal time, not the possible times. Um, Just to get that out of the way, the earliest possible time that one can light Hanukkah candles in cases of need is a time called Palag Mincha, which is an hour and a quarter before the end of the day, before it says. Uh, Practically here in Atlanta next week, meaning Hanukkah, it's going to be at about 4.30. So that's the earliest possible time to light candles, but that's only done in extenuating circumstances. Um, So that's the earliest possible time. Now let's talk about the ideal time. So, the Gemara talks about lighting Hanukkah candles from sunset, Mishatishka hachama, Ad Shatichla haregel men hashuk. From the time of sunset until uh, literally the foot traffic leaves the marketplace. So, how do we define these times? So, let's start with sunset. There are no fewer than three shittos, three um, interpretations, understandings of uh, what Mishatishka hachama means, what sunset means. There is uh, there's sunset as we know it, which we call shkia, which uh, is going to be about 5:30, and then there's seis, which is nightfall, um, which is about 6:10, and then there's something else called shkia Shnia. Um These are the main uh, the main opinions as to when that time is. So, in addition to those, that range meaning between shkia and Sais, practically between 5:30 and 6:10. Uh, there are also other posts given Achronim who offer other opinions. Um, for example, um, Rav Moshe Feinstein held that one should light 20 minutes after Shkia, and the Chazanish held that one should light 10 minutes after Shkia, which would mean 5:50 and 5:40 respectively. And that is governed by several halachic um, uh, reasons. One of them being that you want to make sure to light at a time that is readily apparent. Shraga Vitiri Mayahani which is a concept that when there's a bright light outside, you can't see another light in front of it. So um, these are some of the basic um, outlines of, of shitas of opinions in when to when to light, when to start lighting. Now, how long does one have to light, which is probably more uh, applicable to the questions that, that you asked or that people asked that you're reading. Um, so what does it mean, until foot traffic leaves the marketplace? Um, So, there are three important factors when trying to figure out when that is. When the Gemara means that you have that time from sunset until foot traffic leaves the marketplace, does that mean to tell us when is the latest time you can light, and the latest time is when people are no longer milling about outside, or is that the amount of time that the candle should be lit? According to the Rambam, that's the amount of time. The candles should be lit. So the Rambam seems to indicate that's only about a half hour long. So it doesn't actually have anything to do with the literal foot traffic outside, rather it's a description as to how long the, um, the duration of, uh, of, of time that the candle should be lit. Um, so that would mean that there's a very specific, very regimented amount of time. It would start from shkia and go for about a half hour, and after that point in time you could no longer light candles. That's the opinion of the Rambam. Now, we don't in that way, but it, it, does, it is used as a factor, and it's important to take that into account to recognize that there is a specific time to light. Uh, factor number two is that most people hold, not, as I mentioned in the Rambam, that tichle uh, Regalin heshok, that foot traffic leaves the marketplace is literal. We light candles outside to, do, to perform prasume nisa, to show the world what Hashem has done for us, to show the world the nays of Hanukkah. And that should apply as long as people are around to see it. Um, So that would be uh, a second reading in the Gemara. Now, the third uh, factor is, um, you know, does that change from place to place? Does foot traffic change from place to place? Are we restricted to the foot traffic at the times of Chazal when they made this decree? Um, Or does that change? Nowadays, you know, in big cities, it goes, the city that never sleeps in New York. Have you been to New York? Um, never. <laughs> it would be, you know, forever. Uh, here in Atlanta, things get pretty quiet uh, pretty early. <laughs> <Like> so <six. laughs> that, that would change from place to place. Um, and finally, nowadays, we light inside. In the days of Chazal and, uh, and in Eretz Yisrael, the halacha, the minah, is to light outside where everybody is about, and and it's very important that your candles are seen uh, publicly. Nowadays we light inside. Now we happen to light by the window, uh, which is an interesting development in halacha. It's not actually cited in Shulchan Aruch, but um, now since we light inside, does that change the understanding of when we should light candles? Meaning it's no longer for the foot traffic, for people outside, for people driving down the street, Uh, rather it's for ourselves in our homes. So the Bottom line is, I just wanted to give some idea of, you know, the factors that are involved. The bottom line is that ideally one should light candles around Shkia, maybe a little bit after, and they should burn for a half hour. And that half hour should be the half hour past the latest time that one should light. So you cover all bases by starting to light at Shkia, making sure you put enough oil in or making sure your candle is tall enough, it has enough wax that the, that the nair, that the candle, should last from Shkia, let's call it about 5.30, until it says, which is about 6.10, and then a half hour past that till till 6.40, if I'm doing my math correctly. So, ideal time to light, starting around 5.30, candles lasting until 6.40. Um, I know there are various men hugging within that window, but that's the ideal Window. If you're a little bit late, it's fine, Not, nothing to be stressed about because uh, as I mentioned there are varying opinions as to exactly how to pinpoint the exact start time. Okay, so that starts us out on the general Okay, understanding. but this
1: woman's husband doesn't get home until after
0: 7.30. Okay, so now we get to, uh, to many situations are like this. I get this question all the time. We'd love to be able to sit down and have everybody sitting peacefully at the table and all the candles all set and the Sufganiyot ready to serve on the table and everybody sitting like in their, in their finest, waiting to, for 5.30 for, to, to light candles uh, you know, with, with joy and, 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 and tranquility. Uh, that's what we do in our house. But <laughs> <laughs> we recognize that not everyone can do that. <laughs> so, so that's what this is all about. Um, so someone come home at 7.30. So you're missing the ideal window. The ideal window, as I said before, about 5.30 to 6.40, catching shkia and seis and making sure the candles last a half hour past that, that's the best thing to do. But the uh, husband, the father, is not coming home until 7.30. So what do we do? Do we have everybody light up, light on time at 5.30-ish, 5.30, 5.45? Uh, or do we wait until um, the man of the house uh, comes home? This is, there. it's not clear. Um, there is room to say that the house should light on time because the mitzvah is really on the house the mitzvah is incumbent upon each and every member of the house but Hanukkah is a special time, a special time dedicated to the house. The mitzvah, according to almost all poskim is to have your house representing Nehru's Hanukkah, representing uh, your uh, attachment to the Neis and to show what Hashem has done for us by lighting candles in your house. So if somebody uh, so there are basically two options here one is that the wife um, should light on time to catch the right time to light and then the husband will that um, we have a wave from the window there <laughs> and then the uh, the husband will um, be yotze. Um, he will be yotze with her lighting show light for him even though he's not home uh, and then when he gets home he'll enjoy the candles um, and, and that's that that's one option
1: would that necessitate that she use enough oil that he needs to That's have a good it? question.
0: Um,
1: that he needs to be able to Yeah,
0: it? Yeah, Sh- she should use enough oil that he could see it when he comes home. And there's also room to say that he should make a brichas harrowin, which is an unusual bracha, probably not for this podcast. If you have this situation, you can call me. But I'm not going to come out that way, so <laughs> let's keep going. Uh, but many do. Many say, including, um, uh, who am I to argue, uh, like Rav Shmuel, uh, Kamnetsky and other post say that's the best way to go. Have the wife and the kids light on time. The husband will come home later. If he sees the candles, he should make a bracha. And that's, that's one option. A second option is to wait until the husband comes home. And this involves missing that ideal window. But as I said before, there's room to say that that ideal window extends nowadays, that, uh, you know, that traffic outside goes until like 6 or maybe 7.30 um, or even later, depending on where you are. That's number one. Number two is since we're lighting inside, there's room to say the main prissumenisa, the main beautification and uh, pub- publicizing of the miracle is for the house itself, for the family itself, uh, even though it's in the window, but it's perhaps mainly for the people at home. And therefore, you can extend that ideal lighting time in this case. Um, uh, so that's usually what I tell people. If you have specific circumstance, you should contact me. And we can talk through it, but I think the best option is to wait for the husband to come home um, and to light later with the whole family together. This way it also gives you enough time to set things up and try to uh, get things in order and light, light the candles calmly and, and, and happily. So I think that's the best option. What's the upper limit? Um, there, the upper limit is probably chatzos, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know, I can check. It's pretty late. It's very late.
1: And what about the part of her question about her children going to sleep before he comes home?
0: Right, and so another... It's
1: just some of them and not all of them, whatever.
0: Yeah, so, so in order to catch the ideal time to light and to like kind of get the family in the Hanukkah spirit, the best thing to do is probably if you have kids at home who are capable of lighting, let them light on time. Let them light on time, get them into it, sing songs, enjoy. And then when Daddy, Tati, Abba, Papa comes home... Uh, you could do it again because he's coming home. It also sends a nice message. It sends a message that the Chanukah uh, is for the whole family. It sends a message of keep it off, of waiting for the father, of having the whole family together. And at the same time, you, you, uh, you catch that uh, correct candlelighting time, which is the right time to, to, um, to begin uh, the mitzvah. So even though they're not being motzi the entire house in the mitzvah, they're not lighting for everybody, but you have a representation of candles at that time and gi- giving over the message that this is a time that Hanukkah uh, lighting starts.
1: If someone is waiting, what are the restrictions on eating? This is a question that actually just came in.
0: If somebody is waiting somebody. to light?
1: Yes. Are there
0: restrictions on eating? And if so, what are they? Um, let me answer that. Late. It's going to get too involved. Okay. So, whoever asked that question just now, please call and I'll, I'll answer you offline.
1: Okay. Um, what about this? The, the second question? May I add um, one
0: thing here? Sure. There's a great there's a great story that's told in the annals of halakha. This is one of the areas that halakha always tells stories. We dealt with a, an issue right now of the husband coming home late. What about the other way around? Let's say you have a wife working around a law firm trying to make partner, I don't know, whatever the situation is, where the wife is coming home late. So does the same situation apply? So here, even though, as I said before, there is a room to say, and the strong halachic opinion to say that the whole family should light on time, and they will be motzi the person who is out of town or not there right now. But there's a story told of the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim went to visit his rebbe, Rab, whose name was Rav who we know mostly through the Chafetz Chaim's accounts of him. And um, he got to Rav Nachumka's house at the time of candlelighting. And the story goes that his rebbe, who was extremely meticulous in... Uh, every diktuk of every particular aspect of halacha was not lighting on time and was waiting. And the Chaim was puzzled, didn't say anything. They were waiting and waiting, and eventually Rav Nahumka's wife came home and that's when he lit. And later on, the Chavetz Chaim uh, built up enough courage to ask him why that is. And he said, he, he cited the Gemara in Shabbos that says that when there's a um, a toss up between nearest Hanukkah and nearest Shabbos, when one has the opportunity to light, um, Chanukah uh, candles or uh, Shabbos candles whatever the situation is that uh, nearest Shabbos other that uh, the nearest of Shabbos are preferable because they represent Shalom Bayes so uh, this you know there's, there's a very important message that's given over by this story which is the concept of Shalom Bayes of having a tranquil home, of home of, uh, a home that is together um, and therefore that's another reason why I think that the option of waiting for husband or wife to come home is preferable
1: Okay. Um, the second question that I asked already but though about um, women not doing work for half an hour after candlelighting.
0: Okay. So, in the very first sif, the very first halacha in Halachas Hanukkah talks about this. It talks about a woman not doing malacha during the time that the candles are lit. Um, there are two basic reasons given for this. The... The first reason, um, the Mishnaburah cites that it's a reminder. Um, it's a reminder, you know, the we're not supposed to benefit from the Erez Hanukkah. They're simply there to remind us of the nisa, They're not there for us to use for our own um, devices. Um, an example given is not to count money in front of the Erez Hanukkah. It doesn't really apply nowadays because we have a shamish and we have electric light, but the concept is still there. We talk about it when we say Erez Halalu. It's only to, to see the candles, not to use them. Um, not to utilize them in our work. So in order to keep that in mind, uh, they made this, there was this minhag that came about, cited in the Aruch, not to do malacha then, not to do work then, uh, in order to remember how to properly approach the candles. That's one reason. The second reason given is due to the special holiness of the day. They're days of halal vehoda, days of giving thanks. We literally sing halal. Uh, similar to Yantav and Cholamoid. and since they have that similarity, that similar kadusha, similar attention to... Holiness and the, uh, the messages of the day um, Therefore there's a minhag not to do work to uh, to um, bolster and to um, And to heighten that awareness um, So then you can ask well, why is it just women both reasons could apply to men equally and the answer is first of all There is a minhag brought that men also um, Shouldn't do malacha then. It's not a Prevalently accepted minhag. I've never actually seen it um, Although men who want to get out of housework cite it all the time Um, But the reason is because women have an extra special connection to Neas Hanukkah. There's a famous story of Yehudis, and uh, how she helped champion our cause. And uh, there are a few accounts of how women were very involved in um, leading to our victory and in recognizing the um, Hashem's Hashkacha. And therefore, uh, women have a special connection to Hanukkah. And that's why they were chosen to have the opportunity to display that connection by refraining from doing during that time. Um, the time's, time given is about a half hour. It's, that's the half hour I mentioned earlier, of the half hour of the, of the uh, candles being lit. There's no need, it's a, it's a minhag, it's a custom, and there's no need to extend it for the entire period of time of lighting that I mentioned before, which is closer to an hour. Um, but it's a good thing to do, if you can, a very good thing to do. It's a minhag brought in Shachan um, We'll get to extenuating circumstances in one second, but even the halacha itself, the minning itself, doesn't apply to all aspects of malacha. It it, it doesn't mean that you can't turn on lights, it doesn't mean you can't answer the phone, it doesn't mean you can't cook. The malachas that are included, according to most opinions, is like type of restrictions, like doing laundry, like uh, ironing, um, sewing, things like that. Very involved malachas. Uh, Cooking, taking care of the house, cleaning up, um, these are all fine. Um, So, did did I answer your question yet? Am I rambling?
1: Mm. yes you answered her question but I guess I want to um, extend the question to um, the beginning of her question if this is supposed to help me to connect to and enjoy the mitzvah part meaning like if I'm going if we light the candles and then I go quick quick to make dinner so I'm not sitting there enjoying the candles taking part of the mitzvah so if um, I will be able to do that by putting my little kids to sleep first, and then lighting later. Meaning like, what's the balance between having a nice, tranquil, meaningful lighting time and the time
0: restrictions? So we're moving away from the Malacha question. I guess so. Yeah, just the the Malacha question again, it's a strong minhug, but it should not drive you crazy. Um, and the idea of the minhug is not just the perfunctory Action of refraining from melacha. The point of the minhag is to have a connection to the halakas neros. So if you're going crazy and upset and stewing because you feel like you're restricted and can't do things, and the kids are all over the place, and you just then then that's then there's something missing. There's something missing in keeping that minhag. Um, uh, and it's not a strict um, you know if. Okay. For specifics, you know, see me in de- uh, See me privately. I don't want to get into detail here, but I just want to give over that message. Now, it, to get back to the most your recent question, which is, um, should we delay? We talked about the ideal time for lighting. Can we delay lighting? Not because I'm waiting for my husband to come home or waiting for my wife to come home, but because the kids are hyper, and they're not ready right now. Mm-hmm. So, should I delay? So the answer is, as I said before, there is room, there is wiggle room. However, there's also the Ikka Halacha. There's the, the way of, do, of performing the mitzvah in the ideal way. Chanukah is all about performing things in the ideal way, hitter mitzvah, doing it in the best way possible. So, um, I'm going to turn the question back to you. What are some practical uh, tips? Or how do you approach it? Um, you know, sometimes it's not ideal. Sometimes there's a kid, there's a child who's crying. Sometimes there are lots of kids who are crying. So <laughs> h- how do we deal with this? How do you prepare for it?
1: So I think sometimes um, the best thing to do is take a step back because sometimes we have an image in our head of what things are supposed to be like. And when something doesn't fit that exact image, we kind of don't know how to react. So like this, for example, um, we all want to give our kids this ideal um spiritual family-oriented happy um even if it's just a half hour but that time where we're doing a mitzvah and um you know celebrating chanukah um and when it doesn't work out like that um, we don't know how to react so i don't think that there's a specific rule in terms of what to change but it's more a matter of perspective meaning Um, the question is, what values are we giving over? Sometimes we need to do things that are inconvenient, but if they show commitment to halacha and we do them with a smile, we're teaching something to our children. Now, that doesn't mean that we, as you said, need to light at the optimum time without taking anything else into account. Um, In this case, there are situations in which there is room to change within parameters. But, um, But when we have to, we shouldn't feel that we're compromising our children. Because we are demonstrating something for them, and even if right now they're having a tantrum, they usually actually look back on the situation positively if we're calm and we're enjoying the experience, and we go into it thinking sort like you know with that attitude of okay, so we're lighting Hanukkah candles now because that's the time to do it, and. Um, and okay so one of the kids is a little bit upset (laughs) that's okay and i'm not saying there are situations in which i you know we could delay at least you know like for you know 10 minutes or whatever it is but um even when we decide not to um it usually the impact that's felt on the children is from our attitude to the situation and when we feel positive about it and um, we demonstrate that we are calm and happy about the situation. So um, it's true, right this second, they're not having the most uplifting, amazing spiritual Hanukkah experience, but they are, they're learning something and they will take that away from it. Um, the other thing is um, planning in advance. Um, we will get to Hanukkah presents later But um, this is an overall Yantif point that, unfortunately, many of you have heard me make many, many times. But um, if we took a few minutes, we spend so much time cooking and preparing and cleaning for Yantif. If we took a few minutes to think to ourselves, what would make this more enjoyable and appealing to my children? Then um, I think that would solve a lot of issues, not all of them. And what I mean by that is, is that different children enjoy different things and we'll get to presents later. I'm not talking about presents. I'm talking about preparing something so that the children are engaged at the time of Hanukkah candles. So if we have to give, make easier dinners that week in order to be able to give our children some finger food before we light Hanukkah candles so that everyone can sit down and enjoy. Or if we need to make crockpot dinners that week, or... (laughs) Instapot. Sorry, I'm dated. And, um, or if, you know, just preparing in that sense, or if we have children who we know are incapable of sitting, right? But there's something that they enjoy doing, whether it's coloring or playing a game or whatever it is. And Hanukkah is the one time that we sit down and we play this game that we all like. such a positive association with Hanukkah. It's such an easy thing to do. And they're so happy to do it and to sit down and to, you know, and all of a sudden instead of just rushing into Hanukkah candles and then everyone crying and whatever. So either plan in advance or take five minutes before and it's a totally different experience. Um, And that is an overall yontif point, but I find that it applies very much to Hanukkah.
0: I know as um, excellent points <laughs> thank you I know as as the uh, I know one thing that I do personally is I try to uh, take so, some time over the point of the day to think of a story or to think of a, um, a question a, a, a prodding question that I can ask to the whole family it takes just a, a minute of a consciousness to think oh I'm gonna light candles tonight and we should have something there that's engaging, something there that draws people, that draws the family in. It doesn't have to be w- crazy or sig- or like significant or a wild story. Any small thing, an observation that you have, a question that you have. The classic question is why, you know, why are, why is the Hanukkah eight days not seven? Anything. It doesn't have to be. Uh, um, it doesn't have to be phenomenal. And you don't have to be an entertainer. Like it's such an important point, and it can last just a few minutes, but it really centers. I think it really centers the whole uh, the whole scene. And it allows for an opportunity for interaction, which is very special.
1: Okay. Presents?
0: Let's go into presents. Okay. okay, there's a lot more to say about this, but I guess people are going to have to wait until next year.
1: Yes, they will. Okay. <laughs> okay,
0: what's the next question?
1: Okay, um, how do you handle gift giving if you don't want your kids to get a lot or really any presents on Hanukkah, but grandparents love to send mon- multiple, in parentheses, lots of presents? even when asked politely to tone down gift giving. How do you impart the lesson that Hanukkah is not about the presents when that is a big part of their reality? Keep going, right? Okay. Well these are all questions about presents. Okay. Okay. What is your Ashkaf on Hanukkah presents for grandparents and aunts and uncles? They shower my kid with presents kids with presents. I'm having a hard time not feeling in competition with them. I don't want them to feel that they only get things from their grandparents and rich aunts and uncles. I want them to feel that their parents also get them things, but I see by the end of Hanukkah they are spoiled. Last year we were with my family for Hanukkah, and I saw that my kids were terribly spoiled by the end. Should I avoid spending Hanukkah with my family?
0: Yes. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. Okay. Those are the questions? Yes. Okay. Let me give a general background perspective on presents, and then I'll let you take over. on, on some of the specifics there about the aunts and uncles. Um, so, giving presents on Hanukkah. I recently came across a letter, a, a question posed to one of my rabbin, Rabasher Weiss, and somebody asked him, does giving presents on Hanukkah constitute a violation of Chukos Hagoyim, which is the prohibition against um, uh, doing things that, are, um, that mimic or stem from um, the ways of, uh, of, of non-Jewish religions. Uh, so that was a, kind of an extreme way to ask this question, uh, the, like the general attitude towards Hanukkah presence. Um, and he answered there, in, unequivocally, he said, no. Uh, the concept of chukas only applies to specific circumstances, customs that really have no logical sense to them. Um, and giving presents during a festive time is like a logical thing, and therefore it's permitted. As a matter of fact, he made a connection between Hanukkah and sukkas, um, there are some reshonim that explain the reason why Hanukkah is eight days long is because it's based upon the length of days of our longest Yom Tov, uh, which is Sukkot, including Shemin Yetzeris. And around Yom time is the ideal primary and most Jewish time to give presents. It's a, it's a mitzvah der Isa to ensure that your family um, enjoys Yom tif through gifts that can enhance their Yom tif. So there is definitely uh, shrushim, there are roots to this concept. Uh, around Yom Tov time. When it comes to Hanukkah itself, aside from what I just mentioned, um, the concept of giving presents really is rooted in giving Hanukkah guilt. Hanukkah, my grandfather, a shalom, twice a year, would send me a considerable amount of money. At that, back then it was $100 actually. And twice a year, he was sent to me on my birthday, and he was sent it to me on Hanukkah. And he always wrote the same thing. Here is $100 Hanukkah Geld, G-E-L-D. He was a uh, European, and, and that's the way he spelled it. Um, and that's when I received my, my presents. So that's when he, he sent it to me. The concept of Hanukkah Geld is, uh, is you know, many, many uh, generations old. And, and uh, it really comes according to many. It comes from the idea of giving tzedakah on Hanukkah. The um, Primagodim says that uh, Hanukkah is a special time to give to tzedakah because according to Samadrashim, the Greeks issued decrees against us in the realm of Torah, Avoda, and Dumilas Chassadin Torah and uh, davening and, and giving charity and to combat that, we, during Hanukkah have to strengthen, strengthen ourselves in those three areas uh, in greater commitment to Torah learning uh, in davening, especially on Hanukkah, we have Hallel and other, other additions to the feel that make it even, even more meaningful. And g'milat sal giving charity. So this is cited by the post by the of Avram, by the Mishnah Bura, And the Magen Avram actually notes that um, that poor people used to go around door-to-door during Hanukkah because they knew it was a, a good time. And it even says there that uh, poor people, um, I think it says, aniyim ne'arim, children would go around to uh, try to collect money during Hanukkah. So these are some of the ideas behind the concept of giving. Uh, first of all, giving presents, Yom time, number one. Number two, giving. Just Hanukkah is a time of giving. Uh, giving st- stuck is really where it's at. And somehow that kind of morphed into the concept of giving to, to, uh, to children. So uh, I don't think you can say that there's anything wrong with it, per se. However. What we're talking about is some of the underlying principles behind it. The concept of pursuing nisa, of simcha, of happiness in the house, of giving to other people because it's charitable, Um, giving because the Greek told us not to give. So that's not just a a surface act of making sure your kids have the coolest presents, because otherwise they'll kvetch. That, it's it's the idea of giving over the concept that now is a special time, Uh, it's a special time to to recognize Hashem's gifts, to recognize that people need gifts, it's a time of giving, and therefore I'm giving you something extra. If you have a custom to give gifts, that I think would be the message behind it. If, well, um, add one other thing. This past week's parsha. I'm a rabbi, so I go back time. to my roshas. <laughs> I didn't actually speak about this this week. In this past week, uh, in this past week's parsha, I'm parsha's vayeshev. So it says that Yaakov Avinu went back um, across the um, across the Nahar. And that's when he was fighting with the Saroshal Esav. And the reason he went back, as we all know, is to get to pachim ketanim, small jugs. The shla says that those pachim ketanim um, have, were the were the, the, um, the preamble, not the preamble, the predecessor to the pachim of Chanukah. Pachim, It's like pachim, pachim, jugs, jugs. You had the pachim ketanim of Yaakovina went back for and the pachim of, that represent, and that started the, the, uh, that, that was the source of the miracle of Hanukkah. What's the connection it's just kind of a random thing What's, it has the same word and therefore it's associated so I think there's a deeper, deeper message here um, and that is that the reason uh, the Gemara says Yaakov Avina went back to get these small jugs even though they seem inconsequential because tzaddikim, righteous people chavivim um, aleihem they have a appreciation for their physical um, properties even more than their than their physical selves. So I'm not going to get into why it's more than the physical selves, but there's this idea that tzaddikim, that righteous people, have an appreciation for the physical. It seems to be kind of counterintuitive. I think that righteous people are more spiritual in nature. They don't have any any connection to any appreciation of the physical. And the answer is that we are supposed to have a connection to the physical in that it represents a vehicle for the spiritual. We have we place immense value on the physical things that Hashem gives us, because He gives them to us in order to devote ourselves to Him. We're supposed to look at the world as much as we can, that all physical things that we have uh, should be and should aid us, either directly or indirectly, in service of Hashem. So it's a tall order, and it's a very high level, but the idea, I think, is anybody can relate to. So when you're giving over something physical to your children in honor of Hanukkah, These are the messages that should be given over along with it. It's a time of yomtiv, it's a time of giving, a time of tzakka, and a time to appreciate every little physical thing that Hashem gives us. Okay, did I answer your question? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, So I just want to address a few things that were contained within the question. Um, One of which was um, this feeling that um, we have to compete with other people. Um, because of the physical gifts that they give us. And again, I think that this is a, um, a, um, an area in which we need to step back a little and just consider. Um, and if it's not, uh, 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 not a chiddish, but we all know that our relationships with our children is infinitely deeper than physical gifts. Um, we know that, just sometimes we forget, because when we see somebody appeal to our children and our children like them more for the next half hour, sometimes that mm-hmm. stings a little bit. But, um, you should never allow yourself to feel threatened by someone else's physical gifts. Um, and if you do, the answer really is, or even if it's something that happens on a regular basis, um, you'll never be able to compete with them physically. Even if you can, then all you're doing is lowering your relationship with your children to uh, the same, the same playing ground where I'm, you know, okay, now our relationship is based on gifts. The answer really is to strengthen the actual relationship, not to fight back with presents and most of us and and when, when we have or either to work on strengthening it or to recognize how strong it already is and that our relationships with our children are strong and deep and we don't need to feel threatened by those physical things and not just not to feel threatened by them but then to ourselves to try and create that relationship based on physicality I'm not saying never to give your children gifts of course we should but um, what you give your children on a happy festive Hanukkah is a million times better than any present. And even if your children, you don't see that appreciation on your children's face right now, they do have it. And um, what you're giving them is infinitely more. Um, The second point in terms of being influenced, like what was the the way the question was? how do you impart the lesson that Hanukkah is not about the presence when there is a big part of the reality is that um, we really need to remind ourselves all the time that our children get, our, get, get their values from us. We worry so much about other people's influence, and we should be careful in terms of who our children are influenced by, 100%. But the influence of anyone else over our children is infinitesimal compared to our influence on them. So Grandma makes Hanukkah about presents and spoils them. So, okay. If your Hanukkah is about something greater, then that's the Hanukkah that they'll get, even if right now they're super excited about the present that they just got. And even more than that, if they see that even though they know deep down that this is not what you want, that you're respectful to their grandparents, and that you are you you take into account the um, kindness that the grandparents are, are, are doing and the fact that they want to connect to their grandchildren and that you respect and value the relationship between them, they'll be getting a million times more than what than than whatever damage they're getting by the spoiling. And again, factor number one, no one else can spoil your children except for you. But even if they are spoiling them a little bit, you are giving a clear message that I respect and value my own parents or my own in-laws. And that message is priceless. So um, with regard to the question of even being reminded many times to tone it down, I'd stop reminding them. <laughs> let, them let them shower your children with gifts. Okay, so are, are there limits? Probably, and that can be dealt with on an individual basis but overall <coughs> we should um, concentrate on our own contribution to our children's spiritual Hanukkah experience and also um, think about how much our children are getting by our modeling our kippur avaim and our respect of our of their of their grandparents um, and um, the last thing is um, with regard to the values that do come from you what is Hanukkah? what is Hanukkah about for you worry about filling, instead of worrying about what they're getting from other people, worry about filling Hanukkah positively. Instead of taking away the negative, let's fill up the positive. Um, What do you want to fill it with? What are the messages that you want your children to get? Or what is the experience that you want your children to have? If you concentrate on that, then whatever they're getting from other people will be really, truly negligible. That connects to another point that I want to make later, but first let's i make it now. Okay, okay, so I, I think that brings us to another point which is people
0: might stop listening. Okay, I hear.
1: Um, <laughs> which is that we have busy lives and most of us are not sitting and reading a Sefer on Hanukkah for, you know, Shloshim before the Chag. Um, but if we want our kids to have an approach to Hanukkah that isn't I only read some questions. A huge portion of the questions that I got were how do I make Hanukkah about something more than donuts and latkes and presents? and if we want our kids to have a pro- approach to hanukkah that isn't about donuts and latkes and presents then we have to have an approach to hanukkah that isn't donuts and latkes and presents and that doesn't mean that we have to at this stage of our at whatever at, at a busy stage of our lives immerse ourselves in you know the farm Hakadoshim for you know hours a day although that would be fantastic it means that there has to be something that we have in mind too and I'm talking minimal one idea one idea find a five-minute thought to listen to or open an English book for a few minutes or ask someone that you know that's you know connected for a quick Torah it will change and 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 find something that you can to connect to something small it will I'm not telling you to give it over to your kids but just the fact that you have it and you are going into Hanukkah with that perspective will change your Hanukkah and it will change your children's perspective also because even though some even though we want to give to our kids and that's why we become obsessed with the latkas and the this and the that but still if our goal on Hanukkah is to make the perfect latka and for no one to cry during candlelighting then that's what our kids get away from it but even if it's internal if we have a perspective that's a little more elevated they see that and it will affect them will affect them tremendously um and i think that's a it's, it's an important perspective especially it, on every antif but i find even more than when it comes to Hanukkah, because on Hanukkah we're not forced to have the meals and sit down and make our lives totally different you know and and refrain from malacha for the entire day uh we're not forced to do that and therefore our regular lives can keep going and um chanukah tends to become kind of like um know kitschy like about the the you know the donuts and the latkes and um you know if if donuts and latkes don't work for your kids for whatever reason and don't do them (laughs) it's fine that's not a mitzvah the point is to infuse Hanukkah with what we want so if we have that perspective oh you know like maybe i don't have to have this or that or whatever so your children will also have that perspective
0: okay good good Traveling. Excellent. Traveling. Yeah. Um, sorry for the delay, everybody.
1: Cool. Let's keep going. I, I don't have a lot to say about traveling because it's more halachic. Okay. Okay. Last category.
0: Um, okay. Last category. Bunch of questions. Uh, I'll just read one text. Um, you know who you are. The third night of Hanukkah will find the, my family in a hotel near Virginia Beach. What do we do about lighting menorahs? Okay. And
1: what about the the woman who's traveling herself? Oh, and There's
0: another question here. This was this was on the. I you know. have
1: it. Um, if I'm a married woman traveling by myself in the middle of Hanukkah, do I light my own candles in my destination? And I also got another question, which is um if one spouse takes a red eye, should the other spouse just have them in mind when he or she lights? Okay. Oh, okay. One. Sorry, one more?
0: Meaning um, the question is that the one spouse is missing the... One
1: spouse is just, I think, missing the Zman completely. And um, if someone is lighting and then will be going out of town that night, so they won't be sleeping where they light, is that a problem? And if... What if... Um, you're in a hotel and there are laws about, okay, that's a good idea. Um, mm-hmm. about lighting candles. That's the same as cetera, the first question of, uh, hotel on Virginia okay.
0: Beach. Okay. Okay. Um, so let me just give the general and we'll get to the specific. So, number no, traveling, um, so first of all, the easiest thing here is that if, um, the traveling questions only apply if the entire family is traveling. If there's a, a member of the family at home, then that person lights candles at home and he covers the rest, he or she covers the rest of the family. Um, if the family member who's traveling doesn't want to be covered, that's another question we'll get to soon, but that's number one. So the question about the, the, the spouse on the red eye, so the answer is yes, then um, the spouse who's at home should light and, um, and that will cover the person who is, who is traveling. There's a question in the Poskin, what if there are different time zones? Uh, that gets interesting, and uh, I guess contact me directly about that. Depends on the situation. Um, very often, even across time zones, it works. You are connected to and represented by your home throughout Hanukkah. Uh, so that gets into the second step here, which is that, according to most um you need a house. You need a house for uh, for Hanukkah candles. If somebody has to is homeless or Practically homeless, just has no place. Is, is traveling the entire night on planes and wherever. Then they are, um, then they are exempt from lighting candles. Okay, uh, Mrs. Foxman has to go. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this up on my own. But I probably shouldn't have said that because no one's gonna listen anymore. Okay, I'll see you later. Thank you. Uh, okay, so back to uh, to traveling. So number one, you need a house. Um, and you need your house. In fact, some people make a mistake, and they go to, like, Hanukkah parties at uh, their family members, and there's, like, a, a lighting party, and everybody lights their own candles. It, that doesn't work, because that's not your house. That's the host's house, and it's not your house. Um, this, uh, the source for this is a Rashi. Uh, the Gemara talks about a Berchas HaRohan. I mentioned it earlier in this recording. of A uh, bracha uh, said by somebody who can't light the candles, but he just sees them. Uh, like a husband who comes home much later. Um, perhaps. I don't mean that l'halach, I mean that as a possibility. So uh, when is there a situation where somebody can't light candles, but he may be able to see them? So Rashi says it's like somebody who's on a boat. He's on a boat at sea, and he, I guess he sees the candles on the shore, I think that's what he's talking about. Then he can make a birchah haro'in, the bracha of somebody who sees Hanukkah candles and can't light on his own. Moshe Feinstein says, well, if he's on a boat, then why doesn't he light there the boat? And the answer is because you need a house. A boat is not a house. Um, there's a Marsham who talks about lighting on a, on a train, on a, traveler, a traveling car, a sleeper car. Um, and he says that is considered to be a house. So you do need a house. The question is, how do we define a house? Uh, so let's go straight to the hotel. So you're traveling, you're not in your house and nobody is in your house to light for you. Or perhaps you want to light on your own, which we'll get to in one second. So you should light in the hotel. Where to light in the hotel? Lighting in the hotel lobby, um, which is probably the easiest with regards to, you know, the the rules that usually exist in in, in these types of places, uh, doesn't work. That's not your area. It's not your place. Um, So it's like lighting in the middle of the street. It doesn't count. So where can you light in a hotel? Well, there are two options. One option, perhaps, is to light where you eat. That has to be a specific setup where you have a table, and it's really your domain, you're there for a while, it's harder. The best place to light in a hotel is in your hotel room itself. Um, and you don't need to light uh, the candles that correspond to the night. If it's the eighth night, you don't have to light all eight nights. you Your Yotze, the mitzvah, totally by lighting one light. So something, one idea that has ex- ex- enjoyed some success is um, people have told me they've had success in taking like a yurtside candle with them and they're away for a few nights. And they light the outside candle for the 45 minute, hour long period of time that you need to have the candle burning, and then then do you extinguish it? And then they use it again for the next night, and they have one small contained safe option that works for a few nights. Now, the issue here is that many times the hotel doesn't allow flames, doesn't allow fire in the rooms. As a safety precaution, They don't allow any fires to be lit in the rooms. So you can ask. Uh, People have had success in asking hotel management for a dispensation for Hanukkah, and they show them the Yerzai candle and show them what it is, and that they're going to be watching it the entire time, and they receive a dispensation. That's the best option. It gets sticky if the hotel really doesn't allow it. Shlomo Zaman Orbach held that that might be a mitzvah habba b'aver, a mitzvah that comes at the expense of or at the same time as an avera, that's being committed, which is kind of um, you're abrogating your rental contract, which is essentially what you you sign. Uh, what what happens when you rent a hotel room? And one of the conditions of your being allowed to be there legally is that you follow the rules. Um, so I'm not a lawyer. I don't know exactly how these contracts work, but that's a point that he makes. And therefore, lighting against the wishes of the hotel um, or the place that you're staying against and management, first of all, could cause a chiddush hashem, and second of all, it could be a mitzvah habavah vera and according to some, it might be, you're not even Yotze. So, bottom line, it's a bad idea. So, if you're in a hotel, best option is to light a candle in the room. If you can't light a candle in the room, so the next best option is to light with a flashlight. Um, a lot of posts can discuss lighting with a flashlight. Shlomo Zaman Orbach said lighting with a fl- an incandescent flashlight works. Um, There's a basic Yitzchak, it says it doesn't work, it's just glowing metal, it's not a fire, per se. Uh, and therefore, I think the second best option would be to light with a flashlight without a bracha, in deference to the opinions that it doesn't work. So you have a special flashlight for your Hanukkah candles, and that's what you do instead. There are those who have done this on a plane, have actually seen it, um, and that's another option. If you don't have that option, or whatever, you're not following uh, that opinion, then you'd be putter. Uh, unfortunately, you'd be exempt from lighting Hanukkah candles because you don't have a home in which to light for that night. So that is, um, that's with regards to hotels. Um, There's the question about the person traveling on the red-eye flight. we answered that before, that their family can light for them. And then we had the question about the married woman traveling by herself in the middle of Hanukkah. So same thing. She can be Yotze with um, her family lighting at her home, especially if it's in the same time zone. However, let's say she doesn't want to. Let's say she would like to appreciate, experience, participate in the um, in the mitzvahs of Hanukkah while she is away. So there's a discussion in the postgame. If a person can, if it works for them to say, I don't want to be Yotse with my family. Can they do that? Their family is lighting and they are covered. Can they choose not to be covered? So there are different opinions. The best way to do it would be to have the person who is traveling, who wants to light on their own, to light before the family does. That way they're not Yotzi with their family, and they can light and make their own bracha. Their family is chayiv, is obligated in their house, and they light and make their bracha, and everybody has the opportunity to to light if that's the way you want to go. So that is the next question about traveling. Um, There's another question I got here, can you light, this just came in, can you light in your car? Uh, Not clear. I seem to recall there's a nitig of Riel who says that if your car is the right size of a halachic house, which is 10 tfachim by four amos, 10 handbreadths by four, um, by four cubits by four amos, which would be kind of uh, about three feet by six feet. So then maybe you can call that a house. We, uh, many people make fun of have a rather large car. <laughs> so we could consider our house, our car a house perhaps. I don't know if to measure your, your car. But that's that's one opinion. There are others who say a uh, car is simply not a house um, and it, it doesn't work. Uh, so if you have this particular Shiloh, uh, this question, so please call me and we can talk it through. Lighting at a restaurant or a rest stop is really not a good option because again it's not your place, it's not your house, there's no kfeos, there's no permanence there, and therefore it's pref- preferable to find another option. So without my wife here to continue guiding the questions, I'm going to wrap things up. Um, Thank you all for listening. Please, please feel free to reach out to me or my wife with any follow-up questions. Um, also, let, let us know if this is a venue, if this is a type of offering that works well. Our thinking was that by giving a recording that contains the, this type of material, uh, we can reach you wherever you are. You can listen at your own time rather than making a sheer in person. Um, we can filter in questions and answer them in this venue. So please let me know if this works and we can continue doing so for future Yom Tovin and future opportunities. Have a wonderful, Lichtiga, light-filled holiday, both in Gashmias and in Ruchnias, both in a physical and spiritual realm. And uh, thank you for listening.